0: Hello, this is episode 276. In it, I'm going to discuss your project team and how to ensure that you bring the right people on board. When renovating or building your home, your team really does make all the difference. They can make your project a total joy or a total disaster. And just because someone gives themselves a job title or has qualifications or a license, unfortunately does not make them excellent at their job. And yet, There are so many awesome professionals in this industry waiting to work closely with you and ensure that you have an enjoyable experience creating a home that you'll love living in. You may be surprised at what I share with you as the keys to finding good team members. So stay tuned as I take you through some of the questions to ask that I believe really make the difference in finding the right people. And if you are an industry professional, be it an architect, a building designer, interior designer, builder, consultant, supplier, any other kind of industry professional, and you enjoy Undercover Architect and listening to this podcast – please listen to this episode because I've got a special message for you at the end that I really hope that you'll stick around to hear. Now, remember, if you'd like to grab a full transcript of this episode, plus information on the resources that we discuss, you can do that by heading to www.undercoverarchitect.com forward slash 276. That's the numbers 276. Now let's dive in. I begin by acknowledging the traditional owners of country throughout Australia and I recognise the continuing connection to lands, waters, skies and communities. I pay my respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures and to Elders both past and present. If we haven't met before, I'm Amelia Lee. Based in Northern New South Wales Australia, I'm a wife, mum and architect and I've worked in the architectural industry for over 27 years now. Having worked on over 250 projects, mainly residential family homes, as well as significantly renovating three homes of my own with my hubby, whilst our three kids were babies, toddlers and even older, I have a personal and professional understanding of the joy, challenges, stresses and excitement of making your family home a reality. In mid-2014 I started Undercover Architect and it's an online business to help and teach homeowners like you how to get it right when designing, building and renovating your family home. Undercover Architect is all about giving you access to the industry knowledge and insights you need to avoid the mistakes and dramas that can cost you thousands, tens of thousands and even hundreds of thousands of dollars. And it's about leveling the playing field so that the world of renovating and building doesn't seem so mysterious and you can be the active driver in your project, navigating it with know-how and confidence. Undercover Architect helps and teaches homeowners through this podcast the website, and our online courses and programs, including my flagship program, Home Method. I truly believe that when you know the questions to ask, the steps to take, and the best way to create a home that works, feels great, and that you feel great in, you can enjoy the process of building and renovating, as well as the home that you move into at the end of this ambitious journey. Consider Undercover Architect your secret ally, whoever you're working with, and whatever your location, your budget, or your dreams. Grab access to my free online workshop, Your Project Plan, and learn super helpful information to save time, money, and stress in your reno or new build. You can find it at undercoverarchitect.com forward slash project plan. That's P R O J E C T P L A N. Now, let's get on to the episode. I'm going to begin this episode by saying this when it comes to renovating and building your home, teamwork makes the dream work. It really does. Time and time again, especially within my home method community, I see the radical and transformative experience it is for a homeowner who has the right team on board for their project. Now, both on this podcast and on the website, I share a lot of information about choosing your team, working with your team and the kinds of professionals that you're most likely going to need on your project. I do find that most people, when they're embarking on their project, they're often thinking of just a couple of things. The first is, if I, if, if I can just find the right architect or designer or builder, then everything should be okay from there, shouldn't it? And then the next thing is, should I choose a designer, an architect, or a person, or just go straight to the builder? You know, who do I use and who do I approach first? Now, one of my members, Megan, she's since finished her renovation, but I remember when she first got in touch with me, It was after she'd had a particularly challenging experience with her project that had been going on for a fair few years and it included loads of false starts, the wrong design, expensive approvals, taking time out and then ultimately having a proposal that didn't fit their budget or their lifestyle. And she wrote to me in this email, essentially we are your perfect case study on why people should do your courses before they do anything else. Now, I I remember at the time I got in touch with Megan because I asked her whether she'd actually tried to educate herself before she initially started the project. And her reply to me was this, she said, speaking for me, I naively and simplistically thought that building was similar to surgery. You chose a professional that has a good reputation and then you hand everything over. At the time I started, I wasn't looking to educate myself about the process. I thought I just needed to decide on the styles of things. It was only once I was years into it, feeling totally out of my depth, watching money fly through my fingers and feeling like I wasn't getting anywhere that I started trying to educate myself about what was going on. And... Megan what she is saying here it's a really common feeling for so many homeowners that I speak with and it's it's actually about how many do go about reviewing and selecting their team you know they seek that key professional based on reputation or a collection of the key players and then they hand everything over and it can get you into a lot of trouble so definitely getting educated and informed before you waste any time money or effort in diving headlong into your project and choosing your team it is so worthwhile because you know one of the things that can definitely happen as you dive into your project is that you can start to uncover just how many different types of professionals and consultants there are in the residential building industry. Over the years, there's been more and more specialization of the various tasks and roles within residential design and construction. And then those roles have splintered off into a raft of different versions, which can then have different titles, qualification requirements, and also regulations that are applied to them. And so it's no wonder that it feels like a minefield as you wade further into your project. Now, as I said, I've previously shared a lot of information on the podcast uh, about different professionals that you're likely to need in your project. So if you haven't listened to season, four of the podcast it's called know your team it's a season that includes a series of interviews with the typical range of professionals that most projects will require there's some amazing guests in season four really sharing great insights and advice based on their experience and their roles and it will definitely help you get a greater understanding of how they work what they do and when and why you might need them in your project I've also got podcast episodes and also blog posts on how to choose a designer, you know, whether you need an architect, building designer or person. who you should approach first in your project, plus a range of other topics related to your team. And then of course, inside home method, I've got more information. There's interview checklists, there's questions to ask your potential architect or designer, your structural engineer, builder, other professionals, you know, so that you just don't forget anything when you're actually interviewing them and you can get the information that you need to determine whether or not they're a good fit. And there's uh, additional resources there to really help you get your team selection right. So in this actual episode, I want to discuss some other factors with you that I know really do have a significant impact on how well you and your team will work together. And if you keep them in mind, they can actually help you make a great choice. It's also worth noting something that I've noticed in this industry, and perhaps you're aware of it as well, is you know like-minded people are attracted to each other. That of course happens in any industry. So. Often all you have to do is find that first professional and then the rest can then be offered up from that professional's network. So you might not necessarily have to find the designer or find the builder first. You know, they can be an obvious place to start, but it might be that you know know, or you've found a great structural engineer or a landscape designer or even, you know, someone like a building biologist or another type of consultant. And then you can find, you can tap into their network of like-minded people within the industry. So you can always think about your team selection from that point of view as well. But, you know, I want to warn you, this episode's not about the nuts and bolts of finding your team. I'm not going to take you through the questions to ask them what to expect that they'll do and how to check their experience. All of, you know, I I share all of that information with great detail and tools and templates inside Home Method. And of course, there's other resources that will help you on the podcast and the website. And I'll pop some links uh, in the resources for this episode. This episode itself, though, it's going to be quite different from that. But the things that I want to discuss with you, they are super meaningful and impactful in finding the right team members because these things are more about understanding how the people on your team will potentially communicate, how they'll behave and how they'll provide their experience and expertise to you. And then, you know, what they'll actually be like to spend time with and to have in your life for a long duration of your project. So before I dive into these areas or topics that I know will enable you to find the right fit, there's some points that I want to cover first. So let's just go through through these, okay? So the first is that just because someone is qualified and has a job title does not mean that they are excellent at what they do. So I mentioned this up front. It takes more than qualifications and job titles to provide great customer service, to help you navigate your project confidently, to be a fantastic communicator and, you know, to be your trusted guide as they deliver their expertise. Secondly, you know, just because someone has a big social media profile does not make them great at what they do either. Holy cow, you know, there are some operators out there who have incredibly huge social media audiences and they are doing terribly terrible quality work and i mean in court kind of terrible work with their clients having to sell their homes you know within 12 months because things are starting to fall apart so don't be deceived by big social media followings thirdly you need to do thorough due diligence on anyone that you're bringing on board you need to confirm that they can actually legally give themselves as the title of being an architect for example or that they're licensed as a builder for the work that they're going to be doing or that they have the necessary qualifications and licensing to legally conduct the role that they're going to perform on your project. Now, number four, don't be afraid to ask lots of questions. This is how you'll find out an enormous amount of information about a professional, about how they're going to handle your communication, what they'll share and what they won't share with you, and also just how they respond to your curiosity, how kind they are about that. Number five is and I want to emphasize this because I do get word back from some professionals in the industry from undercover that undercover architect community members have have treated them in a particular way. so this is not about bullying potential team members in trying to show them who is boss. that's it's not what I it's not what undercover architect is about. it's not why I'm trying to empower you with this information and knowledge. And, and it's not, it's definitely not the approach that I suggest that you take towards finding team members. You know, the most effective teams, they work collaboratively. The project is king or queen and everyone, including you as the client, you're working together to make it happen in the best way possible. You as the client, of course, you determine the budget and the brief, but it is then best to remain open to the advice and the input of the experts that you're hiring as to whether these are realistic and achievable. No one person needs to be the leader you'll each take leadership when you're needed at specific times but the best teams actually work cohesively together your project does not need to need you to put on a suit of armor and go into battle and if that's the approach that you're finding that you have to have with your team then you've got the wrong people on board now number 6 i do want to say though that it is it's essential that you need to set expectations and standards for how you see your project team working together. And you can do this without being a bully, without throwing your weight around. You know, in all of your conversations and communication with your team, share what your expectations actually are. Number seven is really take the opportunity to use all interactions that you have prior to choosing a team member as a gauge of what they're gonna be like to work with. Don't ignore early red flags. That's a big one, okay? Now, number eight, is also to remember in this industry, people, good people are busy right now, okay? So if they don't reply to your email straight away, that's not necessarily a reason to strike them off immediately. However, you do want to look for these companies and people that actually have great processes to handle inquiries because it probably means that they then have great systems and processes driving efficiency in their business overall. And their process for handling your inquiry, it may actually be that they send you to an inquiry form that you need to fill out a lot of information in before they're going to get on the phone with you. And that's totally okay because it's part of their process of determining if they're a right fit with you and you're a right fit with them. And so it's worth undertaking that. Number nine is choosing your team It will take time and it should, you know, you're committing to a process that's most likely going to last two years or even more if you're embarking on a renovation or a new build. Chances are if you were a new parent like I was, you know, you took a long time to choose the pram that you bought for your first child that might get a few years of use and cost under $2,000. So this is a home, you know, and it's ideally going to last decades. It's going to cost hundreds of thousands of dollars, if not more. The only way that you really have a chance of sussing out a professional team member is to actually interact with them over a period of time. So that might mean that you're following their social media accounts for a while, or that you're being on their email list, that you're checking out their projects on their website, or you're having a few conversations with them. Now, of course, those professionals who actually show up publicly on their social media, who share insights to themselves and their businesses, they will have an unfair advantage here because homeowners will be able to get to know them more readily. I, you know, I know this is the case because when I used to do one-to-one design services inside Undercover Architect, I never had to market those services. You know, people would read the blog or they'd listen to the podcast and they'd they'd self-select. They'd determine whether or not I was the right fit for them. And so then they'd approach me at that point. Now, you know, more and more industry professionals are getting this. They're realizing how important it is to use social media and online interactions to let their potential clients get to know them before first reaching out. Number 10 is, and this is something I say to my home method members a lot, and it's definitely worth remembering, you've possibly heard me say it before, you may have to kiss a few frogs to find the right person. And this may mean that you even end up starting to work with someone and then you discover that they're not what they seemed and you need to terminate your services. I think this is why the PAC process or the Payers consultant process that um, I teach about working with builders, you know where you bring a builder on board during the pre-construction phase. This is why the pack process works so well in your builder selection because you get the chance to know the builder so thoroughly in a low risk environment during design before you then go into signing a construction contract with them. Now it's hard to replicate that process with a designer because obviously when you start working with the designer you start working with the designer. Um, Same thing with an architect. So then it's really just a case of having some lead time to get to know them prior to commissioning services with them and then ensuring that you actually understand what's involved in terminating your agreement should you need to and taking your time to hire them in the first place so that you really do know that you've got uh, a level of of confidence in who they are and, and how they show up. Now, the last point that I want to make before I share these these three questions to ask yourself as you are uh, interviewing potential team members number 11 is that being informed and educated about your project, about the steps involved for your renewal or new build prior to diving into your team selection process, it's naturally going to help you weed out those who are giving you misinformation, those who are overriding your wishes and wants those who are treating your involvement as unnecessary or they're dismissing your care and concern for your project. So really do invest effort and time uh, in being informed and educated before you go about your team selection. You know, most homeowners I know in the UA community, they're thinking about renovating and building for a long time before they start their project planning. They're following people on social media, they're buying magazines, they're doing other research, sometimes without even being aware of how much they're diving into, into this and if this is you, you know, you definitely can and should use that time to assess and discern, you know, who the professionals will be that you'll reach out to. And, you know, when you decide to get serious about your project, who are they going to be the people that you'll get in touch with? Because that's going to give you some runway to get to know more about them, their projects and their business before you make that call if they're a fit for you and your project. Alrighty, so Now, let's have a look at these key things that I know do make a big difference in the performance of a professional team member, whoever they are, and they can actually facilitate great working relationships in your project. And as I said up front... These things that I'm going to run through, they may sound strange. I, I, I think that they're going to sound strange when I start going through them. However, I've actually been thinking about this a lot, over the, over the, particularly over the past few years, as I've seen success for homeowners in their team choices and also the failures. And I've been trying to distill down what is the, what is the true difference? What is the real difference? And now, especially as I work closely with builders inside my other business, Live Life Build. And, you know, we really see builders improve and grow uh, as we work with them versus those that don't uh, grow and improve. There are discernible differences in how they behave in their approach to life in business and their mindset. And I think that it provides an amazing insight into what a successful, you know, what successful service actually takes as a professional in this industry. So, Here's my first question to ask yourself about the team members that you're reviewing, that you're speaking to, and then you're actually selecting for your project. The first question is, are these people that you're interviewing and speaking to, are they self-aware? So self-awareness is the ability to recognize and understand one's own thoughts, emotions, behaviors, and characteristics. And it involves being introspective and having a clear perception of oneself, including one's strengths, weaknesses, values, and beliefs. Self-awareness enables individuals to have a deeper understanding of their own identity, motives and reactions to different situations and it involves being able to reflect on one's own thoughts and actions and having a level of consciousness about one's own existence and experiences. Self-awareness can manifest in different ways including emotional, cognitive, social, physical and values-based self-awareness. And self-awareness is considered a key aspect of emotional intelligence, and it's often associated with, with personal growth, with self-improvement, and with self-reflection. It can help individuals better understand themselves, make informed decisions, manage their emotions, and improve their relationships with others. And this is why I think self-awareness is such a key factor in finding a great team member to work with. Now, how can you tell if someone is self-aware? Well, determining if someone is self-aware can actually be challenging. It's an internal quality that may not be apparent externally, of course. So, But there are some signs that can suggest someone actually possesses a certain level of self-awareness. You've got reflection and introspection. So self-aware individuals, they often engage in introspection, meaning that they'll actually reflect on their thoughts, their emotions and behaviors, and they'll seek to understand their own motives and reactions. And they may be willing to engage in self-examination and self-questioning. The second uh, sign is that they'll have an openness to feedback and this is a really big thing that you want in team members, okay? You want them to be open to feedback. Self-aware individuals, they're open to receiving feedback from others, they actively seek feedback to gain insights into their own strengths and weaknesses and they're willing to listen to different perspectives without becoming defensive and they're willing to make changes based on the feedback received. The third sign is that they have an ability to self-regulate. So self-aware individuals are skilled at managing their emotions and behaviours. They are aware of their emotional triggers and they can regulate their emotions effectively rather than being controlled by them. They may also have good impulse control and exhibit thoughtful decision-making. Number four in the signs of someone being self aware is authenticity. So, self aware individuals tend to have a strong sense of authenticity. They're in tune with their own values, beliefs, and principles. They're not afraid to express their true selves and they do not feel the need to conform to societal expectations or seek external validation excessively. Number five, empathy and perspective taking. So, self aware individuals will often demonstrate empathy towards others. They're able to take the perspective of others. You want this in your team because you want them to be able to put themselves in your shoes and understand what you're going through. Um, And they're also capable of understanding and considering different viewpoints, which can lead to better communication and relationship with others. And the sixth thing is a growth mindset. So self-aware individuals tend to have a growth mindset, which means that they're open to learning, growing and evolving. They see failures or setbacks as opportunities for growth, and they're willing to embrace challenges and learn from them. Now, it's important to understand self-awareness is a spectrum. Okay, individuals may exhibit varying degrees of self-awareness in different areas of their lives it's also going to be a quality that of course can be developed through further self-reflection mindfulness self-examination processes it's a it can be a moving feast so and no one is perfectly self-aware all the time we're not you know we're not those kinds of people where <laughs> but self-awareness you know does require ongoing effort and self-reflection now all of these signs that i've gone through about self-awareness they can and they will be evident and demonstrated In your early dealings with potential professionals that you're connecting and meeting with, if you have your eyes open for them, you just need to give it time, you actually need to spend time with the people that you're potentially going to bring on board to your project, you can ask them about previous projects, you can, you know, ask them about things that might have gone wrong on those projects or about how they might have handled specific situations or challenges You'll start to see whether they're emotionally aware, whether they're empathetic with their clients, whether they're actually seeking to improve and grow, whether they're reviewing how to develop and shift to better the way that they work on an ongoing basis. Now, I see this in the professionals that I look at online. You can see where it exists. You can see where it doesn't exist. And I definitely see it in the builders that we work with inside Live Life Build. You know, those who are self-aware, they are personally accountable, they own their mistakes, they talk with vulnerability, and they don't blame others or play the victim. One of our main mantras actually that's, that we have with our members inside Live Life Build is it's a saying by Grant Cardone, who's an entrepreneur, he says nothing happens to you it happens because of you and we teach this because when you anchor into this and we find that that when we help builders anchor into this this notion of nothing happens to you it happens because of you it enables them to really take ownership of of how they show up in their life how they show up in the things that they do that sentiment alone has completely turned builders mindset around to enable them to transform what they do and how they operate so you really want to you know be able to assess with the professionals that you're speaking with do the are they the kinds of people who take responsibility in their own work and in their own lives now the self-awareness that I'm talking about here I am not talking about all-consuming the world revolves around me introspection and navel gazing it's a self-awareness that also comes with a sense of humor it's where somebody doesn't take themselves too seriously and they're really just seeking to know themselves so that they can continue to grow. It's that assessment of strengths and weaknesses and seeing how they can really keep failing forward and and learning more about the things that they want to do and the way that they want to show up so that they're constantly seeking to improve and iterate their businesses, their projects and the way that they work with you as their client. Now, this leads me on to my next question to ask yourself and this also supports part of that first question of self-awareness. It's, it's, it, it can back up your your understanding of, of how self-aware they are. And this is what ongoing learning are they doing? What ongoing study, what personal and professional development do they undertake as, a, as an industry professional? Now, as a registered architect, and this applies to being a registered architect in Australia and also overseas, you know, we're actually required to undertake a specific level of continuing professional development or CPD, each year we have to fulfill a certain number of hours. Uh, We need to document it. We need to submit this annually as part of applying for the renewal of our registration. And it can be audited at any time. And there are formal and informal hours to complete. So you can't just say that you read websites and magazine articles for all of it either. You know, CPD, to to actually achieve it, it requires an investment of time and of funds in order for you to satisfy the point requirements and the hours uh, each year. There's other professionals as well within the industry that are also required to complete continuing professional development as part of their licensing or membership to specific bodies. And then there's parts of the industry that don't require any CPD. Builders are one of these uh, industry professionals who are not legally required to do CPD. And I believe this is a massive oversight in the industry because, you know, building standards and codes and regulations change and builders need to be across this. And it's just not built into their professional operation that this is that this, they're incentivized to keep up their learning uh, and development in this regard. So, you know, we take, for example, the upcoming introduction of these big changes in the National Construction Code for 2022, which is coming in in 2023, and, you know, especially there's information in regards to condensation mitigation, moisture management in buildings, the energy efficiency um, changes that are being made. There are still so many industry professionals that I come across, including builders, that are blissfully unaware of what is coming in these code requirements. And, you know, the building industry representative bodies who really are in the position to be able to educate them about this stuff and, you know, that a lot of these these builders will be members of, they pretty much spent a lot of last year campaigning against these changes rather than sort of doubling down and helping builders understand them. Uh, and, you know, we've been teaching them to our builder members inside um, inside Live Life Build. I've been participating in workshops and things like that to really upskill myself in this information. And I still hear of and see so many clients that I'm then passing this information on to, you know, homeowners inside the home method community and, and you know, speaking to people. It's clients that are often needing to educate their professionals about these changes because they're more across the NCC 2022 changes than their professionals are. The thing is that good operators, they are staying up to date with industry developments and changes. They take it really seriously that they need to continue their professional development and learning, regardless of whether they are legally required to or not, and, and that it's part and parcel of their professional growth and of serving their clients well. So, you can actually ask your potential professional team members, you know, what ongoing learning do you do? How do you stay up to date with industry changes? What, what are you going to, what are they going to do as professionals to ensure that they're always well-informed and able to help and support their clients? And you actually have, if you're listening to this podcast around the time of release, you know, in, in, I'm recording this in April, 2023, you actually have this really fantastic window as we move through to, um, to the end of 2023, when all of the NCC changes will be fully in place we've got a transition period from may to october but you've got something really kind of clear to be able to talk to professionals about potentially to say you know what what can you tell me about the ncc 2022 changes and how they're going to have to be incorporated into my into my project in regards to the livable housing guidelines and the moisture management and condensation mitigation and energy efficiency changes how are you incorporating that into your projects and so when you you'll see be able to see whether somebody can speak to that from an informed point of view. Now, the thing is too that this this development, this growth and learning, it doesn't actually have to be just purely professional development either, you know. I know as a business owner some of the most important development and growth work that I need to do in order to be able to deliver the best to you, the UA community, it's my own personal development, my own mindset work. And, you know, heck to be a great partner to my husband and be a great parent to my kids, which I don't want to always nail all of the time, um, you know, I definitely need to be doing ongoing learning and personal development, you know, and this is something to be keeping an eye out for in those that you're reviewing to work with, or you can even discuss it as well. Now, that may sound weird. I know that may sound, it may even feel nosy to be sort of wondering this about the professional team that you plan to hire, but I've found that many professionals who are passionate about their work and about their own growth and development, they're sharing information about these kinds of things on their platforms and in their conversations with potential clients anyway. It just slips into it naturally. It can even be in the conversation about what they did on the weekend, you know, this is who they are as people and they're showing up authentically in their working life. You're not getting two versions of them. So, you know, but the thing is that ultimately when you're sussing this out, it's going to help you see if you're aligned with these professionals in your personal values, in the things that are important to you, you know, you'll see how your potential professionals will handle stress, how they're going to manage their anger, how they're going to deal with those hiccups and hurdles that will inevitably come in your project How are they going to take on board frank feedback? You know, you can't do any of those things well if you're not someone who's seeking to regularly improve yourself personally and professionally. Now, what if this isn't your thing? You know, what if you're saying to me, I don't do personal growth, Amelia. I don't feel that I'm that self-aware. But chances are you won't be listening to this podcast if that's you. Um, I find that Undercover Architect generally attracts a like-minded community of homeowners you know, you're a self-aware bunch, you're seeking your own growth, and you really want to get it right in your homes because you see your homes as an extension of your personal values and your worldview. And I find that you, a community members, are they're questioning it with a curiosity to ensure that it's always the truest version of what that represents, you know, to you. So now, lastly, I've got one more question that I want you to ask. And this is one that I was sort of playing about with mentally, particularly after hearing a few projects gone pear-shaped and a few situations where teams really didn't work out well. And, you know, this can be an interesting question to learn more about the way that your potential professionals work in their projects and particularly in their client relationships. This question is, are their clients still living in the homes that they created for them, that they worked on? Now, if you're wanting to work with team members who have experience in doing long-term family homes, you know, that people live in for decades then they most likely are doing that type of work already and have been doing that type of work for some time. And if they've got it right, then those people, those previous clients are still going to be living in their long-term family homes. So ask them, you know, if they're architects and designers This can get a little bit tricky because some architects and designers, they'll only do design work and they don't see people through the construction phase, either through choice or because that's what the client will only pay them for. So they may have actually lost contact with the owners, you know, the design, they could have finished off the design and the approvals and the client disappeared and they're not sure of how the projects actually proceeded. That can be understandable, but there's always, you know, you can find that there's usually ways to find out if the people that they were clients of them design-wise are still the people who are living in those homes. Now, why this? Why I bring this up is for a few reasons. What I see is that when projects don't go well, they leave a really bad impression on the clients, you know, who often actually struggle to go on and love the home. And if they're financially able to, they'll often move on to another home because it's just a stressful experience. It's not the relaxing haven they anticipated. Also when projects don't go well homeowners can seek to sell before the property is deteriorated too much and I'm seeing that happen with a you know particularly at the moment where some builders have raced through projects and not built them well or they've tried to cut corners because it's been needed to happen from a cost point of view and uh, so the homeowners are selling just after that 12month period um, so that the home hasn't deteriorated too much and becomes a massive repair or maintenance cost for them. And then also the other thing that I can see is when a client's ended up in a home that ended up being far more maintenance than they anticipated because the designer, builder, architect chose a bunch of materials uh, or there were other factors that just meant the home was going to be a lot more maintenance than they than they had planned, uh, then the client will often leave the property sooner than they intended as well because they don't want this chain around their neck of maintaining this, this property. So now, of course, people's circumstances can change they can have the best intentions to be living long term in a home and then not have that occur so of course that comes into play but you know and clients i t- i see too and i've had this experience myself clients can ask for one thing and you can deliver that to them as a team and then they can then realize that it's not actually the home that they wanted or the lifestyle that they wanted even if you've been telling them along the way that you potentially don't think this is necessarily the right fit for them, they can be really insistent, uh, you know, delivering on all of the other metrics for their, for their project, but they can get into the house and realize that it's not actually the way that they wanted to live, be it too small, too big, um, you know, wrong location, all of those kinds of things. But as I said earlier, there are builders out there who are building celebrated, I kid you not, celebrated award-winning homes and their clients are selling them just after that 12-month mark because they end up being maintenance nightmares or they just aren't built to last. Now, one thing that you can do in kind of having this conversation with builders, uh, architects, designers about, you know, are their clients still living in their home, is that you can also flesh out how well builders and architects or designers are working together in their projects as well. And you can find this out kind of by how the, the professionals will sort of speak about each other and how how complimentary or uncomplimentary, uncomplimentary, non-complimentary, <laughs> unflattering, <laughs> critical. <laughs> they'll be about about the professionals that they've worked with. You know, architects and designers and builders who are self-aware, who are seeking personal and professional growth, and who work well together because they've found like-minded team members to work together cohesively with, they're often really enhancing the design and the build quality in their projects because they're always seeking to improve what they do. Now, you may have heard me say this before, I believe that it will not matter how beautifully a home is built or how stunning it appears aesthetically, you know, and the quality to which it's finished, if it isn't functional and it doesn't work in its design for how the lives and the lifestyles of its occupants need to operate, it's gonna be frustrating every day as a home to live in. No amount of styling or great quality workmanship can overcome bad design. So if the clients have moved on, it's great to understand what the determining factor might've been. You know, it can be really obvious when you look at the actual house and you're even searching on sort of the local council website for drawings that are submitted as part of approvals as well. You can often see the floor plans and it's glaringly obvious why it's not working as a home. You know, sometimes it may not be possible to find out But if there's a lot of past clients who have moved on from their long-term homes being done by this designer, by this architect or this builder, then it can be something to kind of raise a question and say, is there, is this right? You know, is this, is there something possibly that's not great about this? So like I said to you, those three questions were probably not what you're expecting at all, but I do suggest that you ask yourself these questions about the professionals that you are considering for your project. So the first one was, Are they self-aware? And remember to go back and listen or download the transcript so you can see what the characteristics of being self-aware look like. If it's not something that you feel you can identify um, on face value, it's a great way to kind of examine how somebody shows up in the world. Then the second is, you know, what ongoing learning, study, professional and personal development do they undertake? And that is actually a point blank question that you can ask a potential professional because it's in your interest to understand are they keeping up to date with industry knowledge and information so that they are always ready to address your project uh, and its particular arrangements. I've had so many situations where people were operating on the advice of a builder or a designer who hadn't kept up to date with local planning legislation or building code issues and it's then fallen are uh, the has gone pear-shaped because that's only been found out in the throes of the project um, when it's then expensive to course correct so you definitely want to understand and you can ask this of the potential professionals that you're speaking to and then the third one is are their clients still living in the homes that they worked on and that's just an interesting one to see. okay are they nailing this for their clients are they getting this right when their clients are asking for long-term functional family homes are they getting this right and really suss that out Now, like I said, I admit they may seem like the weirdest things to be thinking about when you're choosing the people that are going to help you create your future home. But I do believe that when you can ask these questions, you can then find alignment. And finding alignment with your team is going to help you build trust faster. It's going to help you communicate more effectively. And it's also going to help you work better together collaboratively you know and these questions they can help flesh out that alignment from a personal and values perspective as much as they can from a professional reputational point of view what I see is ego of course can get in the way of great working relationships you know both yours as the client your own ego and the egos that might be existing in the team so if the project is truly king or queen then ego really has to be left out of it and unfortunately, the construction industry—it can be such a dinosaur about all of this stuff. It really can. But you know what I love about the generation of designers and architects and builders and other professionals that are coming through—that I am seeing—you know—really step into the fore in this industry. They're—they're they're really seeking to shift this. They're really seeking to reshape the, the 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 status quo of the industry, and that's fantastic for the industry overall. It's really going to improve things now. You know, when I think about the quality and the character of teams that, itch- that achieve success for their projects, you know, where clients have had a great experience, even when there's been hiccups and hurdles, you know, every project is bound to have its challenges along the way. It's just the nature of doing something as significant as this with as much complexity to it as it has. When clients have that great experience, when they're really happy with their finished home, it's often these ingredients, these things that I've been talking about in this episode that have made all of the difference because it's enabled teams to work well together and their priorities then can be in the right place and the client, you, can feel supported and you can feel guided throughout. Now, I want you to remember, okay, and this can be really frustrating. I know it can be frustrating when you just want to get going on your project but the whole process of finding the right fit for your team is a super a super personal one that can, you know, can really take some time to get right. And that patience is really important. So, you know, what suits another person may not suit you. Diving into Facebook groups, particularly a local community Facebook group, asking people that you don't have a lot in common with, who might have done a project once, you may not, they may not even have known if they've had a great outcome or a great experience you know, and you're asking them who they recommend, it's usually not the best approach. You are so, so, so much better off if you can upskill yourself to know how to ask the right questions, to be informed and educated about your project process prior to interviewing your team. And then especially when you're working with them, that'll give you the chance to really see the red flags early, be able to course correct when you need to, and, and not get led down the wrong path. I actually had Sarah Lebner, uh, who's the gorgeous architect that uh, is the the founder of Cooey Architecture. She's been a fantastic guest on the podcast a couple of times now. She actually shot me this message last week on email. She said um, a few of my clients, she wanted to share uh, basically an endorsement for, for Home Method. And she said to me, a few of my clients have taken Amelia's course before contacting me and have been wonderful clients to work with. An informed client can more effectively contribute to and collaborate on their project progress in a way that leads to a smooth process with realistic expectations and a fulfilling outcome for them and their family. I'm thrilled when a a prospective client says they've done Amelia's course and I'll be honest, I often discount their fees because I know they're so well prepared. So, and on that note, whether you're renovating or building new, if you would like more structured help and guidance and to feel more confident in control as you learn the steps from start to finish of your project journey and how to create a functional, feel good and fantastic home, then Home Method is definitely the place for you. So you'll join our amazing, clever, super informed, gorgeous community of homeowners who are all planning their renovation or new build. They're on a similar journey to you. And of course, you'll be able to access my personalized help along the way. I would love to see you inside Home Method and support you in your project. You can find out more information about it by heading to www.homemethod.com.au. Now, lastly, remember up front, I said if you're an industry professional listening to this, stay till, stay tuned to the end of the episode. If you're a homeowner listening to this who knows an industry professional that this could resonate with, then please pass this information on to them. I, I really want to reach out to industry professionals all kinds of industry professionals, suppliers, uh, builders, uh, architects, designers, landscape architects, landscape designers, structural engineers. Uh, who else? Uh, lighting designers, interior designers, any type of industry professional who helps people design, build, and renovate their family homes. If you if you resonate with how Undercover Architect seeks to educate and inform homeowners, and you resonate with what I teach here. And you also want to improve the experience and outcomes of renovating and building for all involved. I have a special message, okay? I want to build an army. You know, I want to build an Undercover Architect army of like-minded professionals, you know, that I can then share with my Undercover Architect members. I want to make it simpler for them to find you, especially as industry professionals who can support and help them in the ways that I share and teach at Undercover Architect. So, If you are one of these industry professionals, uh, and I left out energy efficiency assessor, I've got that written down as a note for myself, certifier as well, you know, any other type of industry consultant or professional or builder, you know, or you're a like-minded industry supplier as well, then I want you to head to undercoverarchitect.com forward slash army, so A-R-M-Y. I've got some more information there about what I'm talking about, about the UA Army and about what's involved. So that link again is www.undercoverarchitect.com forward slash army. Please go and check it out. Now, remember, teamwork does make the dream work. So here's to everyone finding an amazing team for your renovation or new build and enjoying the process whilst creating a home that you love living in. As always, thank you for tuning in and for letting me be your secret ally. Until next time, bye. Just a reminder, all content on this podcast is provided by Undercover Architect for reference purposes and as general guidance. It does not take into account specific circumstances and should not be relied on in that way. You should seek independent verification or advice before relying on this content in any circumstances, including but not limited to circumstances where loss and damage may result. The views and opinions of any guests on the podcast are solely their own and may not reflect the views of Undercover Architect. Undercover Architect endeavours to publish content that is accurate at the time it is published, but does not accept responsibility for content that may or has become inaccurate over time.